Uh, do we have any Star Wars fans here today? We got some, quite a few of you. All right. Then you may know, even as we said, our church had an anniversary last, like this Thursday, last ser- Thursday, there was an anniversary that some of the Star Wars fans marked. And that was the 40th anniversary of the original Star Wars coming out. On May 25th, 1977, people all around the uh, country saw these words come on the screen for the first time a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And Hollywood introduced us to some of the most iconic characters that we've ever seen on the screen. In fact, if you could be so kind as to indulge me here, if you could shout out the names of some of these characters. Let's see if you recognize any of these characters from the first movie. Who is that? Luke Skywalker. How about this next guy? Han Solo. You're two for two. Three for three. Who's that? Obi-Wan Kenobi. We'll also give you credit for... Ben Kenobi. You guys know both names. And who's that? R2-D2. And this? Princess Leia. And how about this one? You guys are rocking this. Good job. And who are these guys? The Stormtroopers. Now, I googled um, other movies that came out in 1977. There's not a movie out there where this many of us could name this many characters. Maybe some of you remember Smoking the Bandit or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But no, these characters stuck with people. They stuck with people. And I remember I was eight years old when the original Star Wars came out. And I remember sitting in that theater and seeing these words come up on the screen and the music started playing. And then this huge spaceship is chasing a little spaceship. And the huge spaceship catches the little spaceship. And the people on the little spaceship all go running towards this door. And on the other side of the door, there was noises that were happening, all these noises. And as an eight-year-old, I'm like, what is going to happen? And then there were sparks flying. And then those stormtroopers that we saw earlier came rushing in. And then we got introduced when all the smoke cleared and, and when all the doorway defenders were either eliminated or ran away, we saw this character. Who's that? Darth Vader. Yes, who was once known as Anakin. You guys are killing it on the trivia. Darth Vader, formerly known as Anakin Skywalker. Uh, the Science Museum several years ago had an exhibit where they brought some of the original things from the from movie. And we took our family there, and my, my youngest daughter was just tiny at the time. She barely had any words. And she started talking about this character named Hoo-Ha. We're like, Hoo-Ha? Who is hoo-ha? And then we're like, oh. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. So there's hoo-ha. Also known as Darth Vader. Also known as Anakin. So this, this character, this Darth Vader, he's a really bad, bad, bad guy. And, uh, and, and he tried to convert his son. This may sound like spoiler alerts, but if you haven't seen the movie in 40 years... Um, I think it's safe, right, to, to give some of these spoilers. Is that fair enough? All right. So, so Darth Vader's son was Luke Skywalker. And so Darth Vader wanted to convert Luke to this dark side. But by the end of the movie, Luke had converted him to the good side. And Darth Vader went from all dark side all the time to defeating the evil emperor, saving his son, and then reuniting with his force friends. And here we have a picture of that. 
Here's the big Force Friends reunion. This isn't it. It's the next slide. We've got Anakin, there it is, and Yoda, and Obi-Wan. They're all just, you know, happy all together here. Well, fast forward now to 2015. In December of 2015, Star Wars released Episode 7 after a lot of years. And this trailer came out. And in the trailer, we were introduced to some new characters, including this character um, who was Darth Vader's grandson, a character named Kylo Ren. So here's Kylo Ren, and he's kind of dressing up to be like Grandpa a little bit. He wants to look like his, his grandfather. And in the, in the trailer, Kylo is looking at this melted Darth Vader mask, and he says, I will finish what you started. To which Vader was probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You're leaving some stuff out here. I find your lack of faithfulness disturbing. He, he might have said something to that effect. He goes, you're leaving out. You're leaving out. Because what Kylo meant by that is, I'll finish what you started. I'm going to be as bad as you were, Grandpa. And, wait. But by the end of the movie, by the end of the movie, I, I was good. I had, was overcoming evil. I even sacrificed myself to save my son. And restore balance to the force. There was a lack of faithfulness on Kylo's part, to his grandfather's mission. If you want to represent somebody, you've got to represent them well. You've got to represent them well. You must be faithful in your messaging. Was Kylo being faithful, fully faithful to his grandfather's legacy? No, he wasn't. Well, today, here's where we're going with all this. Today is the final message in a teaching series that we've been in called Messaging. It's a series that we purposely put right before summer because summer is a great time to share our message. It's a great time to invite others to experience God with us. And as we bring this series to a close, I want to leave you with one of our key reminders here at Emmanuel. If you're a regular, it's my hope that this is a, a phrase that you'll internalize, that everybody will know. If you're playing fill in the blanks this morning, some of you might have got this one right. It says this in your notes. There's a place to write this down. If you're going to represent Christ, represent him well. If you're going to represent Christ, represent him well. I hope every one of us internalize this. Representing Christ well will require us to be faithful in our messaging faithful in our messaging. I came across this quote while I was preparing for this series. It's from a book that we've recommended several times throughout the series called the Ragamuffin Gospel. The author says this. He says, what makes authentic disciples is not visions and ecstasies and biblical mastery of chapter and verse or spectacular success in ministry. What makes an authentic disciple is a capacity for what? A capacity for faithfulness. Buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots, and wandered into a far country. Yet, they kept coming back to Jesus. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how fallen, flawed people like you and me can be faithful to this message that's been handed down to us that we've been asked then to hand down to others. So let's start here. There's a place to write this in your notes. It is really, really hard to represent God well without the word and. 
without the word and. It is really, really, really hard to represent God well without the word and. And what I mean by that is that it's very, very, very common for people like Kylo did to lock into certain aspects of who God is and then minimize others or leave them out altogether. To emphasize certain characteristics about God and minimize other characteristics of God. I found this quote um, in the same book that I referenced earlier. The author says this. He says, over the years, I've seen Christians shaping God in their own image. In each case, a dreadfully small God. Some Roman Catholics still believe that only they will graze heaven's green pastures. Or there's the God who has a special affection for capitalist America. Or the God who loves only the poor and underprivileged. There's a God who marches with victorious armies. And there's the God who loves only the meek and turns the other cheek. Some, like the elder brother in Luke, sulk and pout when the father serves surf and turf to a prodigal son. Some tragically refuse to believe that God can or will forgive them. Kyloizing our faith is really easy to do. But if we're only faithful to a few of God's qualities, we're not representing him well. And one of the strengths, I think, of this church is that we do a great job of emphasizing God's grace. I think that's something that's a strength of our church. This is a church that is very, 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 very quick to welcome. It is very, very, very slow to judge. And we get that from the scriptures. Here's an example from the book of Romans. All of our passages today are going to focus on the book of Romans. And here's a section where God's grace is described as a free gift. In Romans 5, 15 through 16, God's grace is described as a free gift four times in just two verses. Look at this. Free gift, free gift, free gift, free gift. A few weeks ago, we compared our faith to a high jump event in a big track meet where we're not able to clear open height, opening height. Who clears it for us? Jesus does. I came across this quote in a book I'm reading for our next series. It's by a, from a guy that many of you know, Pastor Morris Wagner. He said this, The greatest day of my Christian life was the day I discovered I couldn't live it. It's got to be God living through us by grace. When the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel was feeling the weight of another failure, he was praying. He's like, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. And he felt God whisper to him, don't worry. I expect more failure from you than you expect from yourself. Is God a God of grace? Absolutely. He is a God of grace. And because grace has been freely extended to us here at Emmanuel, we're quick, as quick as we can, to extend it to others. As Paul instructs us to do in Romans fifteen seven, where he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So most of us, most of us, this comes naturally. Communicating God's grace comes naturally. We're Minnesota nice, right? Just comes naturally. But if we only, if we only emphasize God's amazing grace, are we being faithful to the full extent of who God is? No. And one of the reasons we felt the need to spend six weeks on this messaging series is because there's a very real danger of creating a Minnesota nice Jesus that we've created in our own image. I don't know of a book in the Bible that does a better job of emphasizing God's grace 
than the book of Romans. And Romans has chapter 1 in it too. How many of you read Romans chapter 1? We're going to give you a couple excerpts. Now, I'd encourage you to open up if you're an adult. I'd encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 1. Um, if you, this is some PG-13 com. Uh, content here that we're going to look at today. So I've redacted much of it. So if you're reading along, you're going to see some of the sections that I'm not going to be sharing for the, the young ears that we have here with us. But even in this redacted version, you're going to see there's some strong words here, some very strong words. So this is from Romans chapter one, the first chapter here of this a book of amazing grace, starting with verse 18 it says this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. These are strong words. And I left some of the strongest words out. If you're going to represent God well, you can't just highlight you can't just highlight the passages that, that, that reinforce your narrative. We have to look at the whole thing, including verses like 32, where it says this. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. If we want to represent God well, we have to be careful not to give approval to things that God doesn't approve of. As best we can. And today what we're going to be talking about is how do you do that well? Because is God soft on sin? No. He's not. In Old Testament and New, this is another thing that we say a lot around here. In the Old Testament and the New, God says, be holy because I am holy. There's a pastor from Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His book, The Cost of Discipleship, has been on my shelf forever. I'm going to get to reading that. But I do have a quote here from it. He does a great job of talking about what happens when we emphasize God's grace, but minimize God's commitment to justice. Bonhoeffer wrote these words in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said this, Cheap grace amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without contrition. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. We Lutherans, everybody was Lutheran in Germany, have paid the doctrine of pure grace, divine honors unparalleled in Christendom, In fact, we've exalted that doctrine to the position of God himself. We justified the world and condemned as heretics those who tried to follow Christ. The result is that a nation became Christian and Lutheran, but at the cost of true discipleship. The price it was called upon to pay was all too cheap. Cheap grace had won the day. 
We gave away the word and sacraments wholesale. We baptized, confirmed, and absolved the whole nation without asking what? Without asking what? Awkward questions. That's hard, isn't it? To ask people awkward questions. Or insisting on strict conditions. Our humanitarian sentiment has made us give that which was holy to the scornful and unbelieving. We poured forth unending streams of grace, but the call to follow Jesus was hardly ever heard. What happened to all those warnings of Luther's against preaching the gospel in such a manner as to make men rest secure in their ungodly living? Bonhoeffer was a Christian in Nazi Germany. And he saw firsthand too many church people who are not representing God well when God calls us to holiness. Well, I mentioned it's really, really, really hard to represent God well without the word and. Well, here's one of these ands, and we encourage you to write this down in your notes. God-honoring messaging, if you're going to do it well, involves faithfulness to both doctrine and delivery. Both doctrine and delivery. And I realized by using the word doctrine, I just put myself in the not cool club. I recognize that. Because the word doctrine is the new D word. Now, it's been the D word for a while in our culture. In popular Christian blogs, in popular Christian videos, popular Christian sermons, you don't use the word doctrine. In fact, frequently people will send me these links to these, um, these videos. And in the videos, they're just trashing doctrine. They're saying, it's all about relationship. It's not about doctrine. It's like, oh. Now, what do you think, Chris? Well, well. Because what is Doctrine. Doctrine can be dysfunctional. You can create these doctrines that are just not true. But, but sound doctrine is just right beliefs. That's all it is. And, and it should, it, should you juxtapose right beliefs up and against right relationship? No, shouldn't right beliefs inform what right relationship looks like? It's the two together. It's, it's an and. It's not an or. And I think about this just in human terms. I loved my father. And because I loved my father, I wanted to represent him well. How much more, if we love our heavenly father, would we want to have right beliefs and communicate those right beliefs about him to the world? We're very upfront about our beliefs at Emmanuel. And interestingly enough, the last time I, I met with uh, the people who put together our, our website and we looked at the analytics, last time I did this, they were able to show what pages people spent the most time on. Do you know what page was right up there at the top? Our beliefs page. Our beliefs page. I believe there's a hunger from a lot of people to not just follow the God that the culture says is God, but they're seeking the God who is. I believe there's a lot of people who are doing that. Pastor Jason and Pastor Dan and myself, we were recently invited to a meeting with other pastors from our denomination. And the point of the meeting was to discuss a social issue where culture is going one way and scripture points us another way. And towards the end of this meeting, our superintendent got up and he's a godly man. His name is Mark Stromberg. And he got up and he said, can I say a few words? And we were like, well... <laughs> Are we going to say no? <laughs> but we didn't say that out loud. But anyway, so he gets up and, 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 he, and he says this. He says, you know, whether it's this issue or other issues, I've got a 30-year-old daughter. And there have been a whole lot of times throughout my life where I wanted to, to give a softer edge to some of the scriptures. But he said, if I'm going to be a responsible parent, if you're going to be responsible pastors, 
we have an obligation. We have a responsibility to, to take the message that was faithfully handed to us and to faithfully hand that same message down without altering it, without changing it, without watering it down. We have, we have a responsibility to do that. And I would say that responsibility doesn't just go for pastors, for parents. It goes for everybody if we're going to represent God well. To, to faithfully say, here's what it says, even if we don't understand it, even if we wouldn't have written it that way. And it's interesting, even as the words of the New Testament were literally being written, while Paul was literally writing the New Testament, people were already saying misleading things about Christ. It shows up in Romans. Take a look at this. Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. Paul writes this. He says, watch out, watch out. For those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Can there be false doctrines? Yes, there can be. But he says, be careful. Don't, if people start preaching a gospel other than the one that Paul taught, be careful. Avoid those folks. For such persons do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Does our faithfulness to sound doctrine matter? Yes. And here's a great summary of Christian doctrine. I love this. I, I'm, I'm wondering why this didn't pop at me in the first 48 years of my life, first seven years of my life. Look at this. Romans 1, 7. It says this before it got into those hard teachings. It addresses the letter to those in Rome who are what? Loved by God and, there's that word and, are what? They're called to be? Saints. Doesn't that sum it up right there? That is sound doctrine. As Dwayne Runke used to say, that's good Bible. Dwayne Runke. And if you want to write this down, you know it's what is a good starting point for faithful doctrine? We're loved by God and we're called to be saints. We are loved by God with a crazy, sacrificial love that we don't deserve. And that love isn't going anywhere. God loves us and it's a crazy love. And we're called to be saints, to strive with everything that is within us to pursue God-honoring lives with God's help. And if we truly understand who God is and what he did for us, if we reflect on this gospel, we'll want to honor God with our lives, right? That's where, that's where the momentum of chapter 1 takes us. The momentum of chapter 1 takes us to chapter 2 where it says this. Do you presume, chapter 2 verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Repentance is a biblical word that means turning from sin towards God. That's what we're calling people to in a good way, in a God-honoring way, for their good, for the world's good. Which brings us then to the faithful delivery part of the equation. Here's faithful delivery, right from the book of Romans. Faithful delivery, meaning how do we deliver, how do we, how do we share this message well? With God-honoring words and God-honoring deeds. As best you can, say the right words the right way. Right timing, with love, with, with compassion. God-honoring words and God-honoring deeds. <laughs> and as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking how different that is than the tactics that I was taught as a young Christian. When I was a teenager and, and, I, and I became serious about my faith, there were these, these different campaigns where they teach us, how do you share your faith with others? Right? And they teach you these tactics. And they never use these words, 
But here's how I'll describe these two tactics that I was taught. One is conversion by concussion. And the other one is bait and switch. Conversion by concussion and bait and switch. They never use these words. This is all I'm describing, these techniques. Conversion by concussion. It involves attempting to scare or to shock or to argue people into conversion. And I have never seen that worked. work. It may have for some of you guys. I've never seen it work, ever. And then bait and switch. That's where you invite people to one event. They think they're going to one kind of event. And then they sneak in. A sales pitch for conversion, right? Bait and switch. May I present to you that the Bible prevents, presents a much more straightforward approach. And that is to do your best to live a God-honoring life and to share what you believe with honesty and straightforwardness. May I present to you too that that's how God changed the world. That's how the message spread through that Simple piece. Um, Romans fifteen eighteen. Here's what it says, where I got the words and deeds piece. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by what? Word and by deed. Those two things. Doing the best you can to use the right words the right way. And Pastor Jason did a great job of explaining that last week. What I'd like you to notice this week, though, if we could leave this on the screen for just a second, is that phrase, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Did Paul's gospel involve inviting people to live God-honoring lives? Yeah, he called them to obedience, to, to God's righteous commands. I'd like to show you one more thing quickly about the word obedience before we begin to bring today's message to a close. Paul says this in the very next chapter. He says, now, in sixteen twenty-six through 27, now, to him who is able to strengthen you to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory evermore through Jesus Christ. The great piece I want you to take away here is it, it, it doesn't have to be through your own strength. In fact, it can't be. It really does have to be God living through us. And the greatest day of your Christian life could be the day you discover that you can't live it. And you begin to, to discover and explore what it means to have God living through you. That's how the message spread from Jerusalem to Judea, all the way to Shoreview. It spread as people allowed the spirit of Christ to work in them and through them as people experienced God and then invited others to experience God with them. And it's so important to note, they didn't have it all figured out. When we talk about using the right words, you're not going to get the perfect words. You're not. And when it comes to living out the, 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 the Christian life, you're not going to live it perfectly. Those aren't prerequisites. In fact, Paul didn't have it all figured out. He writes this. This is Paul, Romans eleven thirty three. He says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And I had no idea what inscrutable meant. So I looked it up. The word inscrutable means... It means even if you investigate it, even if you study it carefully, no matter how much you know about it, you don't fully understand it. And isn't that true about God? The world isn't looking for know-it-alls. They're not looking for know-it-alls. You're not looking for know-it-alls, maybe in certain areas. But most of life, you're not looking for know-it-alls. But sincerity and passion, those things are contagious. 
Why do you believe what you believe so strongly? Christianity didn't spread because people figured everything out. Christianity didn't spread because everyone got every word perfect and then perfectly followed in the footprints of Jesus. Christianity spread because people found something that was worth leaving everything behind to pursue. And they said, well, join me. It's worth it. This is a treasure worth losing everything to gain. That's how Christianity spread. The very spirit of Christ was present in these fallen people who did their best with God's help to be faithful to their call. And it would have been fun if they would have had cameras back in the day where we could get some found footage of Paul and watch and examine how he did it. What did it look like in real life as this message was spreading? And so we didn't have that, but we thought it might be fun to close with a clip from Star Wars. So, so and you know what? Even as I say that, this isn't as loose a tie-in as some of mine in the past. This one, <laughs> this one isn't as bad as a shoe thing that I did and some of those other ones that just fell flat. This one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. So here's the clip that we're about to see. Let me set it up and then we'll watch it. This is a clip from Star Wars Episode Seven. So it takes place after Darth Vader goes through his transformation. It comes after that. The clip you're about to see features a character named Han Solo. We saw him earlier, only now he's older. He's about 30 years older in this clip than he was in the original movie. It takes about place about 30 years after he met Luke Skywalker. And Luke was this farm kid, this farm kid who couldn't keep silent eventually about the force. He needed some convincing himself to go all in with it. But then he was discovering there's something to this. And so he started to share that with Han. Started to say, there is something here to this force. This force that, that held the galaxy together. Well, Han was skeptical, to say the least. He was skeptical. And about 30 years before this clip, he used to mock Luke. He used to make fun of him for putting his faith in something unseen. So that was 30 years ago. And now there's this clip where Han's views have changed. So let's watch the clip. Han, don't say that. You did great. Just rest. Good job, kid. Thanks. Welcome. So, fugitives, huh? The First Order wants the map. Finn is with the Resistance. I'm just a scavenger. See what you got. Go ahead. map's not complete. It's just a piece. Ever since Luke disappeared, people have been looking for him. Why did he leave? He was training a new generation of Jedi. One boy, an apprentice, turned against him and destroyed it all. Luke felt responsible. He just walked away from everything. Do you know what happened to him? A lot of rumors, stories. People that knew him best think he went looking for the first Jedi temple. The Jedi were real. I used to wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is. It's true. 
Force, a Jedi. All of it. It's all true. No, you rest. You want my help? You're getting it. Gonna see an old friend. She'll get your droid home. This is her stop. I didn't know there was this much green in the whole galaxy. came up with that uh, scene did something brilliant that I didn't notice the first time I watched it. That scene took place in the exact same room where Han used to make fun of Luke for his beliefs. In fact, that, that woman, Ray, she was sitting in the exact same chair where Han was mocking Luke as Luke stood exactly where Han Solo was. And he was trying to figure out how to use the force. He had the little lightsaber and he's getting zapped and things like that. And Han was just making fun of him. And now in that very same room, that very same room, Han has made a transition from not interested to curious to now sharing the faith with the next generation. And he said, it's true. All of it. And he was able to say that with conviction because he'd experienced now something real. And I, I thought it was important to let the clip run a little bit after that, where, where then Ray is starting to get invited into this journey where her eyes are being opened to new realities. She grew up on this planet where it was all dirt, all dust, all desert. And, and did you notice when she gets in the ship and she looks out the window and she says, I've never seen this much green in my whole life. And that scene I've seen personally repeated hundreds of times in people's lives as their eyes are open to this whole new world, as God opens their eyes to a whole new world of what life can be like in connection with God. We shared one of those stories. We shared one of those stories a couple weeks ago. The story of Carlos, this kid growing up in Juarez, who always dreamed of, oh, if only, if only I could know what it's like to go to school. If only I could know what it was like to eat until I'm full. And we shared the story of how now he's at Emmanuel Children's Home where some followers of Jesus who heard about Jesus from other people, who heard about Jesus from other people, who heard about Jesus from other people. This message got transferred. Now he says, Emmanuel is my what? My dream home. My dream home. And his eyes are being opened to a whole new reality. And this summer, it's our hope as we bring teenagers down. Their eyes are going to be opened or reopened to what life can be like if we submit ourselves fully, fully to God. So this clip, it's Hollywood, yep. But that's also how the gospel spread. By people just trying to live out a God-honoring life and sharing with other people. 
the reality that they found, faithfully stewarding the message that was handed down to them. So as we bring this series to a close, I want to leave you with this challenge. Will you faithfully steward the message that's been handed down to you? Will you do that? We make a commitment to faithfully stewarding the message that's been handed down to you. Let's close in prayer. Father, I, I must confess that I often feel like that scene where Luke is just trying to figure this out and people on the outside are looking in and, and it's so easy to see our flaws where we're trying to hear the presence of God, follow him and, 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 and do things right. Lord, we're so thankful that it does not rest, this message does not rest on our ability to get it all right. But your spirit uses everything, including our flaws and failures. So, Father, we pray that right here, right now, we could commit again, fresh and new, to stewarding this message well. All of it. Because the world needs it. Bless us as we go forth. And I pray this blessing over my friends as we go forth here from this place. Romans fifteen five through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement... Grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to represent you well. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great rest of your weekend. God bless you. See you next week.